Good evening and welcome to the Overtime Heroics Baseball Podcast, Cheap Seats Shatter. I'm today's host, Matthias Alvin Kurosaki, and with me, we have Alex Clark and Ryan Splash Potts. Gentlemen, how are we doing on this fine Friday evening? You know, I'm vibing. We're recording just after the shock of the world in St. Peter's beating Purdue in March Madness. The the Peacocks, I didn't even know they were called the Peacocks until a week ago. Uh, they are going, they are marching on to the Elite Eight to face. We're recording during UCLA, North Carolina. So we don't know yet, but hopefully that's a fun game. Um, also, shout out to the Kansas Jayhawks for finally beating the fraudulent Providence Friars. Good job. Yeah, we're doing all right over here on the Pacific Northwest here as just getting more and more excited for baseball season. I can't remember a baseball season I've been more excited for, for uh, especially for Seattle, just with all the moves that have been made. So I'm really excited to see what's going on as, especially now I'm guaranteed to go to both opening day and the day after opening day. Yeah, well, Alex, I wish I could say the same thing about uh, about me going to the Mets opening day and all that. Uh, unfortunately, you know, I, I am back from spring break, which is fine. You know, I, I, I like me out here in Syracuse, but uh, it means I probably won't be able to go to games for a little bit, but it's fine. You know, I, I am, like you said, I'm very excited for baseball season. You know, we've had some spring training games. I got to see Max Scherzer pitch a little bit on TV. I got to see Jacob deGrom. Now they're both pitching in a game on Sunday. You know, I just seeing baseball on television has been a breath of fresh air, I will say. And, you know, I got to see Francisco Alvarez hit one probably out of the state of Florida last night. Uh, he had a mammoth home run. But uh, since we last recorded, there have been a number of moves, big moves. And the first one we're going to talk about kind of came as a surprise, but I'm seeing that there is a method to the madness. The Minnesota Twins, who have been confusing us all offseason, have signed Carlos Correa. It's a three-year contract worth – 105 million. He can opt out after the first year, though. So it'll be interesting to see how this works. But guys, I mean, this kind of came as a complete shock to me. So how are you guys feeling about this? So first of all, did you guys know that one of Carlos Correa's nicknames is I am Root? I did not know that. I don't like that. Just the sole fact that I'm not the biggest Correa fan, but I do like Root. So I don't want to <laughs> yeah, associate I'm a, I'm a the two guy. together. Yeah, so like on his uh, baseball reference page, it's in, which is fine. Uh, Show Rea, which is uh, fine. And then I am Groot, which like I get the first two, like those make sense, but did not see the I am Groot coming. But if there is any player that could resemble a superhero, might be Carlos Correa when he plays shortstop, you know, 6'4", every bit of 6'4", great range at shortstop, a rocket launcher of an arm, but somehow a defensive downgrade from our lord and savior Andrelton Simmons but that's neither here nor there the issue with Correa as far as I'm concerned has been health but he answered that he checked all of the boxes last year um, had a 26 home runs 34 doubles played in 148 games and had a massive year as the Houston Astros eventually lost to a certain uh, chop chop team in the World Series Here's my thing when it comes to Correa and when it comes to this deal, because, yeah, you're right. This has been a very interesting offseason for Minnesota where none of us quite know what's going on there. Are they selling? Are they rebuilding? Are they trying to play for right now? This move, it confuses me for that reason. But I am going to say what I think this really is. On the details of this trade, it says a three-year deal. 
However, I see this as a one-year deal. This is a one-year deal with, this is, excuse me, a three-year deal with opt-outs after every year, which Correa was very vocal during the offseason that he wants to go to a championship contender team and have a huge mega deal. He wants to have one of those many, many multi-year deals that a lot of stars have been getting. And it was very clear during this offseason that he wasn't getting that. And so what he's doing right now is he's doing another prove it year for him. And so that's what he's going to be trying to work on is that if he could continue to have a big year, especially being paired along with guys, you know, like Buxton, then that's just going to boost the stock even more. So then in the 2023 offseason, he's going to be really searching for that huge mega deal again. I really think this is just going to be a one-year deal. So Minnesota Twins fans, I'm sorry. You're not going to have career for that long, in my opinion. I will say I like this deal for both teams, actually. And like, like we kind of said, like I wasn't exactly sure what the Twins were doing when they were, you know, they traded for, they traded Mitch Garver for Isaiah Connor-Falefa. And then they flipped Connor-Falefa with Josh Donaldson as part of a deal with the Yankees to get Gary Sanchez and Gio Urshela. I'm like, at that point, oh, and this is also after they treated uh, their former first-round pick from this past year, Chase Petty, to get Sonny Gray. I was just confused. But, you know, when you're treating a contract like Donaldson, who's scheduled to make $24, 25000000 million this year, you know, and the Yankees are taking all that money. When you're making a trade like that, you expect to spend that money. And that is exactly what they did. And like, like Slash said, Correa coming off a fantastic season – He's had a great career. I mean, the, the injuries have been there. There's no doubting that. But when he's healthy, he's amazing. I mean, he's got 34.1 war in seven seasons. Uh, that includes the shortened season in 2020. And then he only played 99 games his rookie year. He only played 75 games in 2019, but he had 3.7 war that year. His 162-game average is 7.3 war. Uh, so that, that's amazing. 20 defensive runs saved this past year. He's fifth, fifth in the AL MVP voting in 2017. Had he not gotten hurt, he probably could have been the MVP winner. You know, he, he's just an all around great player. He's a five tool player. I, you know, I, I, I think the twins, you know, they, they want to prove that last year was just an aberration. You know, I think, I, I think that they have more talent now. It's just about now. Can they get pitching? And, you know, I also think, you know, it's, you know, Alex, you said, you know, it's basically a one-year contract. I think this is a good contract, whether he stays for all three years or not, because he's only 27. So think of it this way. If he stays all three years in Minnesota, he will still be in his prime when he hits free agency again and could get another large contract or another nice payday. So overall, I think this is a good signing for the twins and a good signing for Correa. So I'm very, very curious to see what the Twins are doing. I think the AL Central is kind of open. I, I, you know, I'm not necessarily sold on the White Sox. I'm not sold on the Tigers yet necessarily. Although I think they're making, I think they're taking a step forward. I think the Twins are going to bounce back this year. And, you know, the health of Correa and Buxton will have a lot to do. But any, any other final thoughts on Correa before we move on? Before we move on, I wanted to throw this stat out there. So you mentioned that he averages 7.3 war per 100 th- 162 games. There are only three shortstops in the history of the American League and National League that have played at least 50 games that have a higher rate. Would you like to guess or would you like me to reveal the three? No more Garcia Parra. Uh, that is. <laughs> he was really I, good. I mean, he was good effort. Good effort. Good effort. Yes. Good effort. 
Um, Alex Rodriguez. Alex Rodriguez is uh, 13th on the list counting Negro Leaguers. Uh, Cal Ripken? Uh, Cal Ripken is not in the top 20. Wow. He's 20. Uh, That's... Wow. I I disagree. (laughs) This is just war per 162. Remember, a lot of war, a lot of Ripken's accumulation of war came because he's playing 162 games a year. Then, I mean, I so I got Rodriguez. Uh, I don't Uh, know. Rodriguez is 13. Yeah. So, um, wow. Honus Wagner. I mean, yes, Wagner is seventh. Uh, Correa is eighth. There's there's four guys that were. Trevor Story is twenty first. Uh, um, wow, man, Alan Trammell. I mean, okay, the, yeah. the other two are active players and are very early in their careers. Oh, JP oh, Fernando Ta- Fernando Tatis. Tatis is sixth. JP Crawford is not in the top thirty. What? Um, and... Incorrect. <laughs> Wander, Wander Franco, though. Yes, our Lord and Savior, okay. Wando Franco, 8.1 war per 162, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, because he, had, I, he had like I, I throw three all and the half. young boys out. It's fine. <laughs> I, I knew it was like three and a half in 70 games. So, wow, that's that's an insane stat, though. So Also, wow. shout out to Avelino Canizares. I think that I'm saying that right. He played 18 games in 1945 in one of the negro leagues with the i want to find what this team is the cleveland buckeyes there you go he is he averages uh 11 plus war per 162 even though he only played 18 games stats with splash ladies and gents thank, thank uh, you for that i i, I actually thank, i appreciate thank, that thank you splash <laughs> i i i appreciate that stat splash uh well uh, <laughs> We're going to move on now, and you mentioned him for a second, uh, but Trevor Story, another star shortstop, has signed another, also a big contract. We knew this was going to be a big year for shortstops on the market, and Story got a six-year, $140 million contract with the Boston Red Sox. You know, he, he has an opt-out after a fourth year. Uh, if he doesn't take the opt-out, he could also stay on for a seventh year. So big money for the for the longtime Colorado Rocky who's been in been a part of the organization forever it seems like he was drafted in 2011 with the 45th overall pick you know guys there there are a lot of names a lot of teams that were linked to trevor story but after all that he picks the red sox and i if i'm not mistaken he will be playing second base for them so what are your thoughts on that uh okay so i know a lot of our podcasts we try to keep it like we try to i don't want to say like in the middle but we try not to like go off on certain teams or organizations I would like to say that it's objectively stupid that Trevor Story is playing second base, and I don't know what the Red Sox are really thinking here. Sander Bogarts is as great of a hitter as he is, and he's a top-five shortstop just from his bat alone. Cannot field the position. I can pull up all of the defensive metrics to back that up. Trevor Story is consistently one of the best defensive shortstops in baseball, and now you're moving him to second base? I don't understand that. I know Bogarts is probably gone after next year, and Story's your long-term shortstop if you'd like but I don't understand when you have Devers who isn't very good in the field you have Bogarts who isn't very good in the field and then you bring in oh hey Trevor Story this would be the the equivalent of if the Braves signed dance or if the Braves signed Andrelton Simmons and said okay you're gonna play you know first base and we're gonna have Dansby who's like fine and Riley who's like fine and Andrelton Simmons the best defensive 
shortstop of this generation not playing shortstop. So I, I don't understand that from a Boston perspective. Great player. Don't understand what the organization is doing at all. So my thing when it comes here to story is that it's a very, it's a very, it's been a very interesting offseason for him because he's not one of those guys that was looking for a very big deal. And, you know, he got it. He got a pretty solid deal for six years, $140 million with the Boston Red Sox. One thing that was becoming a little bit, I don't want to say obvious, but a little more interesting is that no matter where he was going with some of the top projected places, for him he was not going to be playing shortstop like what we see here with you know bosses be moving over to second base um to bring a little bit more of just what i've heard directly um there was a lot of talk that he was going to come to seattle and play third base as that was the position that was needed but because shortstop's already been a lock in but from what i've heard uh, a position change or at least over to third base was one of the things that he said i cannot do or I will not do. But second base, apparently for him, said it was fine. He's going to be making a lot of money. He's going to be playing well. I'm, you know, I like Bogarts. I like all that kind of stuff. I do think that, you know, Story is a better defender. And it's, the one problem I have with Story is that there are times where, Zan, where I said Xander Bogarts, where Story is one of the best players on the planet, where he is just mashing balls over and over again. He will steal bases. He has anomalous speed anomalous power and really good defense but there's also times where he just goes into these massive slumps and it just feels like he's just not there some of the time which i mean you know you can say that about a lot of big players but when you're getting a huge contract like this and you're saying okay you're going to be our big leaguer for the next six years and we're going to commit almost as i close to what uh close to 150 million dollars to you we need to see what you're going to do. And the other thing I want to see is that with him playing with the Rockies, I don't ever want to use the argument of, you know, uh, course field makes someone good. Cause I don't think that's still hundred percent accurate. I do want to see what's going to happen to his stats when he isn't playing half of his games there. I'm not going to say he's going to do worse. I'm not saying that at all, but I do want to see what is going to happen. Usually whenever a free agent leaves for a team, there's going to be at least some level of change. It's usually not going to be exactly the same or even close to most of the time, just because it's a new environment, new ballpark that you're playing 81 of your games at. It's just about what are you going to see from Trevor Story, and is he going to adapt well to playing a new position? We've seen a ton of times in baseball where a player will move away from their natural position, and it will also affect their hitting. I want to see what that's going to do for Story. Some of the best players, it doesn't affect them at all. It, and it makes them look even better and more appealing. But some people, it really just kind of destroys them because it makes them have to mentally think about the game even more. And that mentality can kind of ruin some players. I'm excited to see what he is going to do in Boston, as I think the field is much more friendly to him than, say, like a T-Mobile. But I do like what I'm seeing from this. And I think this deal is going to be for uh, the long-term deal for uh, Boston as their long-term shortstop in the next coming years. Yeah, I, I really like this contract, actually. And I, I understand what you guys are saying. I mean, you know, Xander Bogarts can tear the cover off the ball. He is outstanding at hitting, but his defense is subpar by basically every measure. You know, when I first saw this deal, I initially was thinking, all right, Story will play shortstop, Hernandez will play second, Bogarts is going to DH now. But it turns out that Bogarts will still stay at shortstop. And I don't know if having a better defensive second baseman will help him there, but 
I'm, I, for me, I need story playing shortstop. But at the same time, this is a great deal for the Red Sox. You know, you get a right-handed power bat who can – he can absolutely mash. You know, you put him in Fenway Park where it's very good for right-handed hitters. I, I think that he will hit a bunch of home runs, a lot of doubles, just a lot of extra base hits. And, Alex, I understand what you're saying about his slumps. I mean, he did not have a particularly good first half last year, but – he was able to finish strong. He still finished with 24 homers and 20 steals. So that's his third 2020 season. And he stole 15 in the shortened season in, in uh, 2020, which led the NL. So, you know, he's displayed the ability to, to hit, to run, and to field very well, all of those. You know, he's won two Silver Sluggers. He's a two-time All-Star. He's finished, you know, he's finished in the top 12 in MVP voting three times. He was fourth in rookie of the year voting his rookie year in 2016. I think this is going to work out, you know, and he's only, he's going to be 29 this year. You know, I, I think the red, the red Sox get a good deal and the red Sox already have a pretty strong lineup and this is going to just further boost them. So good, good deal for both sides. I I think, and I, I, the red Sox, I think, you know, they're, they're trying to prove that last year was not a fluke. Uh, any, any other thoughts on story? Yeah, I think one thing that's helped Story out in recent years is he has cut down on the strikeouts. Last year, he had his lowest strikeout rate of his career and a, an above-average walk rate, nothing special, only about 9%. But it's better than MLB average, so that's important. And the homer rate is still good, whether he's playing second or short. A 4% homer rate is good. But just to kind of hit my hammer or hit the nail on the head once again, Xander Bogart, since coming into Major League Baseball, according to fielding runs on baseball reference is the 10th worst defensive player since his debut in 2013 to contrast Trevor story is the tied for the seventh best player since he joined the majors in 2016. So Boston checkmate. Yeah. And I, I understand what you're saying. And speaking of defense, uh, the Phillies were active on the market last week. They made two big signings, but two guys who don't really play the field much. They signed Nick Castellanos coming off a great year and Kyle Schwarber, who also coming off a great year. Uh, both, both of them to nice contracts. Uh, Schwarber, four years, 79 million. Castellanos for five years and I believe 100 million. Both guys who were first-time All-Stars this past year. I, I, I have a number of thoughts on these deals. Uh, what, what do you guys think? So I'm looking at the Schwarber <clears throat> season last year. And of course we all remember the, the uh, Ruthian, you know, blasts he had with Washington as the leadoff hitter. He ended up with 25 home runs in just 71 games or 72 games, which is just ridiculous. Then he went to Boston and somehow outdid himself, not on the Homer rate. He only had seven and 41 games, but he raised his OPS <clears throat> by 40 points, almost 50 points. He raised his OPS plus. So it wasn't even a park thing in Fenway. <clears throat> And the man kept walking. He had 33 walks in 41 games with Boston after 31 in 72 games with, uh, yeah, with Washington. <clears throat> and if he is that hitter coming to Philadelphia, if he's a hitter walking in 19.6 of his plate appearances and having like a good home run rate and a, you know, a solid enough strikeout rate, just absolutely tattooing the baseball, that's going to be scary with Harper and that's going to be scary with Castellanos. And that's scary with Real Muto. And this is a, <clears throat> the Phillies seem that finally they finished second place last year. They made progress. What will they do this year? If you get the Boston version of Schwarber, watch out. 
Bryce Harper might not be the best hitting outfielder in that, uh, in that best hitting outfielder on that team for much longer. So here's my thing when it comes to it. Like, I think that Castellanos is a really good sign. I think Castellanos is a good hitter. It's got definitely some room to work with, but my thing with both of these signings is that it shows a bit of a trend and it does not look to be a good one is that the Phillies right now seem to be for what I can see here. They're trying to chase trends and it, I mean, it could work out well for them. Both Castellanos and Schwar were pro- showed last year that they have some great baseball in them. Again, we saw like you hit the nail on the head right there. Splash about Schwarber is that he was Ruthian. Well, the way that he was hitting, he was fantastic. And watching him play, he was a genuine threat. Again, he made people really want to use his live series card and have be the show again because I had that catcher secondary. But the thing that I worry about when it comes to both of these deals is that the players aren't going to live up to the one-year hype that last year really was. And I'm not saying that they're both going to digress, but I do want to bring up a couple things here. When it comes to Nicholas, uh, to Nicholas Castellanos, last year, uh, he won, he was an all-star. He was in the MVP conversation, silver slugger, fantastic, good on him. He did an amazing, amazing job. But he's not a good defensive player. He has a lot of problems defensively. And when you look at his hitting, it's really all he's got. And even then, has had some kind of sketchy years going back even from uh, going back as well. And it just doesn't always feel like he's always quite there. He's definitely boosted himself up in recent years. I think he's much less the trend than Schwarber. Schwarber is definitely the trend here. He's a player that can play exceedingly well. If he can keep on walking, keep on hitting them long bombs. But, 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 but I need to see more from it to where I feel confident that he is a starting player. I mean, we're talking about a guy that a couple of years ago we were saying was maybe never even get another MLB shot again. We were talking about how this guy was going to be one that was going to go from team to team to be, you know, a backup platoon outfielder slash all-time designated hitter. And now we're looking at him as a marquee player. I don't know. I want to see more from him. He did. He had an absolutely fantastic 2021 where he really made the Schwarber brand known, but I need to see a little bit more from him. I really need to see more from him. Cause again, 2021 was his only all-star year. I know we don't put everything into all-star, but I need to see more from him if I'm going to be confident in him, especially with his injury history. And, and Alex, you kind of hit the nail on the head right there is, well, Schwarber, I mean, that month of June he had where he had 16 homers, and trust me, he had a lot of them against the Mets. So I I, I saw all of them, basically, uh, especially poor Taiwan Walker. I mean, I'm sure his numbers were absolutely decimated by the fact that uh, I'm pretty sure Schwarber hit. Ripped to my homeboy, Walker. Ripped my homeboy. Yeah, I mean, because the thing is that uh, Taiwan Walker started the game where Schwarber hit three homers. Two of them were off of Walker. And then – Later in the year, the Mets went to face the Red Sox at Fenway, and I'm pretty sure Schwarber hit, like, two more homers off of him. Like, you know, it's, I, I, do, I do feel for Taiwan Walker because he was a victim of that ridiculous surge that Kyle Schwarber had. And he's shown in the past he's got great power. I mean, he hit 38 homers in 2019, hit 30 in 2017, 26 in 2018. I mean, the dude has 
insane power. But you got to remember, and I will say this about Castellanos, these guys were both built for the Universal DH, and now they're on the same team. And remember, Schorber had a really bad leg injury last year that took him out for a couple months, and he played a lot of first base for Boston. The only thing is that the Phillies have Reese Hoskins at first base. They're not going to put Reese Hoskins back in the outfield because that was a disaster last time that. So they're going to have to live with Schwarber playing the outfield. And then Nick Castellanos is, I mean, he's absolutely abysmal in the field. He can destroy baseballs. I saw him go deep. You know, he, you know, I get the, the home road splits, you know, he had, I believe like an 11 or 1200 OPS at great American ballpark and only like a 740 on the road. But, I mean, Citizens Bank Park is still a hitter's park, and he can definitely make use of that. And I will say that about Schwarber, too. I just my, – my concern here is that while the – it's definitely a boost to the offense getting these two, that defense is going to be atrocious. You know, Harper's a below-average defender in right. Pick your poison with Schwarber or Castellanos in left. I mean, you probably will put Schwarber out there, but, like, I, I, I think that – while it certainly does improve the offense, I don't know if it necessarily outweighs the the the, the absolutely horrid defense that's going to be out there. And they the, the Phillies still have work to do, I think. You know, I think this is, you know, they're definitely Im- improved a little bit, but they they really need more pitching. They need more, you know, they need more bullpen guys. They need more. They need more starters. That I don't I don't know what they're gonna do defensively. I'm trying to think, you know, because Hoskins isn't much of a fielder, Gregorius isn't much of a fielder anymore, Harper isn't. I mean, Alec Bohm isn't. It's it's gonna be interesting to see. Uh right now, I think the Phillies are kind of in my third place spot. Uh, but I I mean, not not bad signings though. The the offense is definitely there. Uh any, any final thoughts? Yeah, this is actually a reunion of sorts. Uh, Schwarber and Castellanos were teammates on the 2019 Cubs, uh, just for a little bit. Um, and also, Nick Castellanos is not just a bad fielder. He is the worst fielder since he made his MLB debut, at least according to fielding runs, good old fielding run strikes again. So I do agree that Philadelphia really just signed two guys that do the same thing. Like, both of them are good players, but at a certain point, how useful can both of them be together it's nice to have one or the other but when you have both it kind of puts you in a predicament it would be like having two seven footers on a basketball team they need to work together like it's and it takes a special kind to work together right it takes a tim duncan and a uh, david robinson to work together if if tim duncan didn't have such a varied skill set maybe it doesn't work together maybe the spurs don't want to draft him duncan in 97 maybe they move on from david robinson what have you so that's one thing that i'm going to be fascinated to look at you know how how they play together are they in the lineup together a lot because i would imagine so with the universal dh now but how does that affect their defense and when you're in these late inning situations you know eighth ninth inning and you need that better defensive left fielder are you, you know, are you okay with having, taking one of them out if you need them for extra innings? Are you, are you okay with accidentally or not accidentally, like leaving them in the field and thinking, well, if a ball is hit to left field, we might be screwed. So um, excited to watch that unfold in Philly this year. 
one other thing I kind of want to bring up when it comes to this trade, we were talking, I believe, last year uh, during the offseason with the Phillies, how they seem to be the definition of insanity, where they were talking about where they would just continue to re-sign the same players over and over again, re-sign their own guys, the same guys that got them to a third, fourth, fifth place finishes. And we talked about that, you know, you need some level of change. And you know what? Congratulations to them. They're, they're showing that they're doing that. They are signing some of these newer players. They are signing new players to kind of come in and jumpstart the offense. The problem that I'm running into here is that they may be trying to do it too hard, where they are trying to find any sort of solution in order to make their team look different and feel different, that they could end up going in the wrong direction. And it really is a risk because with Schwarber, it's his health. And with Castellanos, it's do you trust that defense to be literally anywhere? And if you play, decide to play him fully as your DH, you just signed a lot of money for an all-time DH. So that's kind of where I fit on with it. Congratulations again to the Phillies on at least trying to break out of that moniker. I really hope it does work out well for them for that kind of perspective at the very least. But there's a lot of risk that still goes into it. Yeah, and you know, the other thing is uh, consistency. I think that Castellanos is a very consistent hitter, and uh, Schwarber, can, I think Schwarber it can be pretty consistent. The one thing that is always consistent with Schwarber is his plate discipline. Uh, obviously, we saw him have that insanely hot stretch in June and July, but, you know, it's going to be about consistency with the rest of them, too. I mean, Reese Hoskins will go a month where he's hitting home runs every time he swings, but then he'll go a month where he doesn't get it. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how all that unfolds. But anyways... Staying in the NL East, uh, your Braves slash made an interesting signing, signing longtime Dodgers closer Kenley Jansen to a one-year deal worth $16 million. Uh, Jansen has been a part of the Dodgers organization since he was signed as a 16-year-old in 2004. I can only imagine what it's like to leave a, leave a team that you've literally been a part of for more than half your life. But uh, interesting signing because, you know, the Braves already had Will Smith, but uh, – you know, I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on bringing, it, bringing him in. He's going to be entering his age 34 season. So uh, this is like a homecoming of sorts, kind of. Let me explain. So the Atlanta Braves have a brief history with Curacao. And, of course, Kenley Jansen is from Curacao. Ozzy Albies, starting second baseman, is from Curacao. Uh, future Hall of Famer, I hope. Uh, Andrew Jones is from Curacao. Our Lord and Savior, Andrelton Simmons, the best defensive shortstop in Major League Baseball history, is from Curacao. So, Kenley Jansen, welcome to the uh, Curacao Incorporated of Major League Baseball. But with, with Jansen, I think his best years are behind him, but he did have a monster season last year, a 2-2-2 ERA, um, 38 saves, his most since 2018, and he, yeah, as much as I can say, oh, his best days are behind him. He's not going to have a, a sub two ERA like he did in 2016, 2017, and 2013. He's still a very good player. It's almost that like later 2010s Clayton shirt, Clayton Kershaw disease that no, he's not going to win the Cy Young every year, but he's still a productive pitcher. He's still one of the better relievers in baseball. He's had he had a whip just over one last year. And I think he's just another weapon in the bullpen you know will smith is there and the braves have some talented guys in the bullpen but 
as we know, come October, you can never have enough of them. And when I, one guy might work in the regular season, look at Luke, Luke Jackson. He was awesome in the regular season. I cannot believe I uttered that sentence. He was awesome. And then the playoffs, he turned into like a wet napkin essentially. and was like allowing homers to Cody Bellinger and uh, like getting into messes that Tyler Madsick had to like become God to get out of. So I am always down to add a new reliever. I'm always down to add these cheap relievers. And I don't remember when Colin McHugh signed with the, with the Braves, but I do want to touch on that if that was fairly recent. Another another solid bullpen piece, part of the 2017 Astros team. Um, he had an electric season last year with Tampa, 155 ERA. So I like this idea with the Braves. You know, you're getting getting these pieces in the bullpen that you can like use as chess pieces. And now with the DH, the universal DH, it's not a, Oh, we're going to throw him in for an inning. Then he has to hit the next inning. So we're going to pull, you have so much movability with these pieces. You can like deploy Jansen in the seventh in a high leverage situation. If you need to kind of like Andrew Miller, oh, he just retired Andrew Miller on the 2016 Cleveland team you know, you're going to throw him into these major leverage situations. You might throw Will Smith in here and there. You might throw Colin McHugh here in here and there. I just think it's, it's the great situation to be in when you have enough pitchers and there you can really never have enough pitchers. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of what I was kind of getting at here is there's, there's a very common adage in baseball you can never have enough pitching whether it be starting pitchers relief pitchers you're always going to need more and what's really cool about having a guy like Jansen now in that uh now in that uh bullpen is that it does give a lot more I don't want to say an error of the legitimacy but it does add a lot of experience to that bullpen a guy that has been to several playoff games has now also has his own world series ring and has all of these extra bits to him. I think that right now, this is a good sign to no matter what team was going to take him just because he's not going, unless you wanted to be your main closer, which don't think he should be the main closer in any on most teams now, but he does have that aura of I'm Kenley Jansen. I, at one point I was the best closer in baseball. Now I'm here to do my job. And if, and as long as he could continue to do his job, then I don't see a problem with the signing and him signing basically anywhere. I think with this, the Braves get a bullpen arm that's going to really help get, solidify it a little bit more, plus also give it a lot more. I don't want to say legitimacy because it's already very legitimate as we've seen, but it does give it a lot more feeling of stability, I think is a really good word for it. Yeah, and Splash, you mentioned the Curacao. Uh, connections so to speak in in Atlanta well uh, Kenley Jansen was a Braves fan uh, you know and partially because Andre Jones was there so uh, you know I'm sure it's also I mean while, while it's tough to leave behind a team that you've been a part of for so long I mean getting you to play for a team that you were rooting root, would root for for so long that's gotta be pretty awesome and you know uh, Jansen you know a, a nice I'd say almost a bounce back year. You know, he kind of had a rough 2019 and his 2020 was all right, but it wasn't, you know, vintage Kenley Jansen. The one issue was the walks, you know, 4.7 walks per nine for the guy who normally prides himself for having, you know, great command. It, it's a little concerning, but at the same time, you know, strikeouts, you know, still 86 strikeouts and 69 innings, 38 saves. Uh, he's got 350 saves for his career. So he's proven he can do it, you know, just, 
nonstop, two three seven career ERA. He's been fantastic. You know, he his cutter is the closest we've gotten to Mariano Rivera. And obviously, he's still not Mariano Rivera, but he's still a really good pitcher. And he's a guy who I think eventually will be in the Hall of Fame if he keeps it going. Going into his age 34 season, I mean, you, you guys spoke to adding to already a great bullpen. That, that Braves bullpen is loaded right now. This I was not high on the Braves bullpen entering last year, and they proved me very wrong. I mean, Will Smith, I think, is still pretty good. He had a great postseason. Uh, Luke Jackson's pretty nice. Uh, Tyler Matzik now adding Colin McHugh, too. That Braves bullpen is looking very good, and the Braves are really doing a good job of trying to prove that last year was not just a lucky, you know, light, lightning in a bottle run. You know, I think that the Braves, you know, they're, they're going to get Acuna back. They're, you know, they, they got Matt Olson, And I think that these Braves, you know, they, they're proving that they're, they're no joke. So great. I, th- I like this pickup. I don't know if he, maybe he'll split, split the closers role with Smith, but good signing by Atlanta. And I'm, I'm curious to see how Kenley will do on a new team. Uh, any, any final thoughts on, on the Jansen deal? Yeah, I think it's, it's important to just have options. You know, uh, if you want to throw Will Smith out there, you can throw Will Smith out there. If you want to throw Jansen out there, you can Matic, Minter, um, the whole, the whole gang, if you will. And that's, you know, having tools in your tool belt to work around these difficult lineups. Like you're, you're going to have to face Philly X number of times. You're going to face the Mets X number of times. You're going to have to face Juan Soto X number of times. You're going to have to face whatever the heck the Marlins are doing X number of times. And you want to navigate those situations with confidence and having lots of options gives you that confidence of, okay, you know, Will Smith has struggled against this guy. Let's say Jorge Soler. I don't know. Let's say he struggled against Jorge Soler, but Kenley Jansen turns Jorge Soler into applesauce. Okay, we're going to throw Kenley Jansen out there. Boom, boom, boom. Game over, right? And that just gives you a comfort level. That gives you a a sort of a swagger about you. And you have winners in that bullpen. You have 2020 champion Jansen, 2021 champions across it, like every position at this point. But there is... You know, things are looking up for Braves country. I know odds makers think the Mets are the favorites, but uh, I think the, the Braves have something up their sleeve this year. Again. I mean, it's always hard to kind of go against the previous World Series champions. I mean, it's I will always give at least a at least a little bit of an edge to the team that wins the previous year's World Series just because they won the World Series already. But yeah, no, I think that this is going to be very interesting when it comes to Atlanta and especially when it comes to, um, to Jansen, I don't think it's going to be like the amazing pickup that is going to revitalize a bullpen or give it a new identity like that. I know. I think it's going to be a guy that's going to go there. He's going to do his job. He's going to go there. He's going to pitch decently. Well, he's not going to replace Will Smith. He's not going to replace anybody. He's just going to go there fill the spot and you know if you need need someone to get an extra save opportunity if will smith has gotten you know three in a row i mean you got a guy that is a world series winner also in your bullpen that you could just slide in there whenever you need to yeah no i I think that you know i mean we haven't had a world series uh, repeat champion since the yankees in the late 90s into 2000 so It'll be interesting to see that, you know, I think the Braves are doing a good job at trying to build on their roster from last year. We've seen in the past, I mean, the 2015 Royals, the Royals haven't had a winning season since 
that 2015 season. You know, we've seen in the past, I mean, the Giants, the Giants had a great year this year, but, you know, from, you know, they, they had those sort of middling years in between their even year championships. And I mean, I don't even know what to describe what the Marlins did after both of their world championships where they sort of like blew up the team after uh, each one, but you know, the Braves, I think the Braves are once again formidable and I'm really excited to see the Mets and Braves face off a lot uh, this coming year, you know? Uh, but anyways, uh, I know this is a bit of a sore subject for you splash, but uh, Freddie Freeman is officially on another team. He went back home to California and signed a nice six year, $162 million contract with the Dodgers that Dodgers lineup is like basically Andrew Friedman has turned off budgets and he's turned on forced trades and all that with that lineup, because I don't know how anyone will stop this lineup. Now uh, Freeman, we, we can sing praise of him all day. What, what do you guys think of this contract? So I do want to touch on, uh, it's very, very strange looking at his baseball reference and seeing a blue hat with LA on it, as opposed to, uh, Braves colors. So that's weird. Thanks for your, uh, 12 years with the Braves, Mr. Freddie, best of luck in the Dodgers, at least until we inevitably play in another NLCS. But with that said, um, the Dodgers are loaded. They have arguably the best for, they have the best first baseman in the division. They have arguably the best second baseman in the division. If you move Max Muncy over there, they have, I would say the best shortstop in the division. Sorry, Fernando Tatis. They might have the best third baseman in the division in uh, Justin Turner. They might, have, they have the best left fielder, AJ Pollock. They have probably the best center fielder. If you exclude Cody Bellinger turning into, I don't, I don't know how to describe how bad is 2021 article or, 2021 season was go check out my article and then they have Mookie Betts in right field whoop-de-doo they might have they have an all-star team as their starting lineup and then they have Walker Bueller who's an elite pitcher they have Julio Urias they have uh Blake Trinans or close they have all these pieces they are a all-star team Freddie Freeman is just one more one more uh infinity stone if you will and like Andrew Friedman has like 10 gauntlets it's not like one right? It's not like one infinity. He is like all of the gauntlets. He's one on both hands. He's one on both feet, all of the gauntlets. So the Dodgers are going to be formidable once again. And Freddie Freeman's going to be at the center of it all. I like the idea now of the infinity armor that you're going to wear. It's two infinity gauntlets, infinity feet, infinity, uh, you know, chest plate. And on top of he has an infinity baseball bat too. Why not? But no, like that's what's so amazing about this is that you made the kind of analogy there. Like we're basically living MLB the show right now with how they're going, it's like with how they're signing, where they've turned off the cap, turned off budgets, and turned on forced trades. I mean, this team is stupid. Like we have said this over and over again. I actually want to make an argument, make an article where I just named the article, The Dodgers Are Stupid. And it doesn't make sense is that it won't make sense until you read it and where it's in the good way. I don't know how this team exists. I really don't. And when they signed Freddie Freeman, I just basically went, why? How? And uh, those are three very, uh, in that order, by the way. And because I, I was looking at it and I'm just like, how does this team continue to sign these level of players? You brought the analogy earlier, uh, Splash, about how in every position, 
they have a player that competes for best in the division. If it's not number one, it's a close number two. And I look at this and it's insane. It's watching an all-star game. It's watching an all-star game every day in LA. Also on top of it, the only difference between the hats between going from Atlanta to uh, to LA is the color and adding an L. But um, which you could say you handed that L. Anyway, um, the other thing with this though is that the first thing that also came to my mind after all the unnecessary gobbledygook that I just uh, spout out about is how is this going to affect Muncie? You know, because Max Muncie, I think, is probably just going to end up moving over to second base, I would say, because they lost, you know, Corey Seager. So does that just mean that, uh, uh, does that just mean that uh, Chris Taylor moves to short, Muncie to second, and Gray Freeman plays first? Is that just kind of the idea here? Because, I mean, I, I like Muncie a lot. I think Muncie is a fine baseball player. But it does raise some question marks about what the team's going to do going forward with the kind of overloadedness at first base they have. So overloadedness, trademarked word, by the way. And I want to see what's going to happen because I, you know that anyone who plays the show knows that you can put Muncie you know, at second base or at some of these other positions. But it's always felt more better just to see him at first. And then you have, again, the guys like Bellinger that you know are going to be in the outfit, but also you can also play first. They have so many people that can play at the second hot corner. And it's kind of honestly impressive. But I just really want to know, what are their infield plans going to be now that they have Muncie and Freeman? Because they also have Chris Taylor, which as much as I will always have a, so, a small vendetta against him, but also really appreciate what he's done for baseball. He's a guy that can play anywhere, anywhere and everywhere. He can play every infield position and catcher and pitch if you ask him nicely. So I think that this infield right now, the versatility they have to work with is going to make a really odd situation for Roberts and for the Dodgers because they really can kind of plug and play wherever they want to but that can also turn into a level of discomfort for the team because they're not going to always know where they're going to be on any given day so I think what the Dodgers are going to do if I'm not mistaken they're going to put Freddie at first base they're going to put Taylor at second go Trey Turner at short and Justin Turner at third like you said, there's so many options. You could put Muncie at third and DH Turner. You know, you could put, you know, I, I'm, I'm just spitballing here. You could put Muncie at second and put Taylor at third and DH Turner. Or you could keep that and have Taylor DH. Or who knows what, you know, they also have Gavin Lux too. Who, When I saw Seager was leaving, my first thought was, all right, you move Trey Turner back to short. Gavin Lux finally gets to play every day and he'll play second base. But with signing Freeman, I mean, Gavin Lux is very talented. I thought he was starting to show signs of maybe he's going to turn into a very good player. But now I can't forgot about Trey Turner. Oh, my God. I know. I, I believe it, forgot about Trey Turner. I almost forgot about Trey Turner, too. That's the thing is that the Dodgers have so many superstars. We almost forget who's on their roster. That's what I mean. The Dodgers one through nine. This lineup is just amazing. and. Cody Bellinger in the postseason started showing signs of his old self. You know, I think that Cody, there's no way Cody Bellinger is as bad as he was last year. And he's still good defensively. He can, I think he can hit still. This lineup is going to be absolutely ridiculous. And I'm sure not everyone's going to be, you know, God mode or at their peak, but 
I don't know what can stop that Dodgers lineup. And I understand it's LA. They seem to choke almost every postseason lately, except for when they won it all in 2020. This is this is going to be insane. Yes, they lost Max Scherzer. Yes, they lost Kenley Jansen. This Dodgers team is ridiculous. I don't know what else to say. Freeman, you know, I remember he got off to a slow start last year. He still finished with a 300 average. I mean, he still had an 896 OPS slugged over 500. I I don't know what else to say. I think Freddie Freeman just – that turns the lineup into a full cheat code. Okay, you guys remember when we did the uh, um, – the, like – Fan, or the not the fantasy baseball, but like the video game baseball lineups, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, the Dodgers have essentially done that in real life. Yeah, that's what I was kind I, of I really thinking. I was thinking about that. Although I will say uh, one kind of other last thing on this, um, Mac. Um, oh, I just kind of lost it. This Dodgers team, it. Oh no, yeah, that's what it was going to be. All, all these moves, all these exciting, all these players just to beat the Giants who have lost both Buster Posey and Chris Bryant. Man, it's they're doing so much just to beat these guys. No, and the Padres, I know, but the Giants were the surpri- yeah. one of the biggest surprises of last year and the fact that they were able to compete on this level. And then the Dodgers just keep getting better. Why do you keep getting better? Yeah, I, I mean, like a I, I don't know, at man. This point, but no, it's 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 just insane to see what they're able to do. Yeah, and speak, speaking of which, you you mentioned Chris Bryant. Uh, I do want to touch on uh, his move real quick. He signed a seven-year deal with the Rockies worth 182 million, and this is where I. So we talk about how what the Dodgers are doing. To me, I'm confused right now. The Rockies didn't didn't seem willing to pay Nolan Arenado with the contract he wanted. But now they're going to give they're, – they're giving Chris – okay, Chris Bryant is a very good player, and I like watching Chris Bryant play a lot. But Chris Bryant is only making $1 million uh, fewer than Freddie Freeman will be per year. I mean, can I, I – I just want your guys to take real quick. You know, we, we got to move on. But I, I'm, a little, I'm a little confused by this contract. Chris Bryant's still good, but, like, I, I don't get it. Yeah, I this one caught me out of this one caught me off guard. This was very much a Carlos Correa, what the heck is going on? But at least Correa was just a three year deal, right? And it's really a one year deal in disguise because he's probably going to opt out, assuming he has like a halfway decent season. But this is just strange to me that Brian is coming off of a year that he was pretty good. He was an all star, he was very good with the Cubs, slight downturn in play with the Giants, but it happens, right? So that's you know, you'll throw out a 50 game sample size. And you just like keep looking at Bryant's like baseball reference page or any analysis of Chris Bryant. And you, I always want more, right? He was an MVP in 2016. And really what have you done since then? What have you done the last five years? Okay. He was an all-star twice, one year, just no all-star game, but he was not very good. He was seventh in MVP in 2017, but really what are you doing for me? And I, I don't know if going to Colorado is trying to be, uh, proximity to where he grew up in Nevada or if this is a he wants to get cores boosted but I feel like if let's say it's getting cores boosted first of all not great as great of an effect as it used to be second other teams know it might be cores boosted so they'll look at oh 
he sucked on the road, but he like mashed all of the home runs at home. I wonder why that is. So I just, I have my concerns here that Brian has just kind of like begun to slip the last few years and he's on the wrong side of 30 now. And I just, I just have my questions for him. I like, if I could like sit down with him at dinner and ask, why are you going to Colorado? I think that'd be a, a good question to ask him. I mean, right now, like that's the question on everyone's mind is why did you go to Colorado? Like the only legitimate arguments I could think of are that that's where he got the best deal from. And he really just chased the money or he was fully bought into the cause effect and wanted to just try to mash every baseball as far as you, as the eye could see. I, I, I think I tend to lean towards the former, but um, I don't know. It just doesn't make it. This move just kind of rattles me a little bit because unless it is fully about the money, I don't see the reason for it. You're not going to a team that's really competing right now. In fact, you're going to a team that is a division rival and worse than the team you just left. You're not, you're not going to be competing there. You're going there to just be a name. And I see, yeah, what's, go, what's going on, Splash? I have found the reason. Here, oh, here's, my, here here's my conspiracy theory. Let me throw on the tinfoil hat real quick. Okay. I believe Chris Bryant wanted to play with Trevor Story, and he had he thought Trevor Story was going to go back to Colorado. Then he signs with Colorado. Trevor Story blocks his number, blocks him on Snapchat, blocks him on Instagram, Twitter, all this, that, the other. Signs with Boston, and I can I can see Nolan Arenado looking at an empty house in in Denver in the Colorado Springs area, and he's just sitting there moping because his his best friend Trevor Story is now not his friend anymore that that's my only that that is my number one theory right now i hate that for one reason and one reason only it's not so much that it's absurd or anything like that it's that it broke up a friendship between two very good baseball players and i don't like that how dare you put that bad energy into this podcast splash you've done a horrible thing you've made a bad splash splash wow um splash that was one i did not expect uh, that, that was definitely a turn. Uh, Alex, did you have any other thoughts on, on the KB, re, real thoughts on the KB situation? Real thoughts, no. But I'm currently at this moment trying to think of an even worse conspiracy theory that I could use that somehow involves Pokemon and the Seattle Seahawks to try and turn what? this into a, an even worse thing. But I don't think I'm going to be able to do it within the time limit of this podcast. So we'll see all, how it goes. Alrighty then. Um, well, on that note, uh, there is one last thing we are going to talk about, and it's another third baseman who there have been a number of hot takes about this guy for a while, but the Blue Jays have traded for Matt Chapman. The A's sent the, the former All-Star to Toronto, three-time Gold Glover. He was traded for Gunnar Hoagland, who, is a, who was the team's first-round pick this past year, Zach Logue, Kevin Smith, and Kirby Sneed. So... Three pitchers, one, I believe Kevin Smith is, if I'm not mistaken, yes, he's a, he's a utility guy. So I, I, I definitely didn't expect Toronto to get Matt Chapman. Uh, I know that he kind of had a down year last year, you know, only league average offensively. What do, what do you guys think? 
Um, it does kind of reform the infinity stones. It is the Toronto Blue Jays infield. Not really sure who's starting at second base, but it doesn't matter when your surrounding cast is uh, Bichette, Vladdy, and Chapman now. And also looking at Chapman's face with the Blue Jays hat looks very weird. I feel like half of this podcast has, be, has been me complaining about player pictures on baseball reference but regardless we know Chapman is one of the best defensive players in the history of the sport and he hit well enough in Oakland he had a 36 homer season in 2019 was an all-star hit 27 home runs last year struggled to make contact with the baseball though batted 210 but he did have a healthy 80 walks the difference between his batting average and on base percentage 104 points which is one of the largest in the league and can slug a little bit, 193 ISO last year, good walk rate, good homer rate, yikes of a strikeout rate. The last two years, highest two strikeout rates of his career. So if he can solve that, you're putting him in an offense with Vladimir Guerrero. You're putting him in an offense with George Springer. He's probably going to be driving home Springer a lot of the times when Springer, you know, gets on base. You know, Teoscar Hernandez is in that lineup. Uh my guy, Kevin Biggio, who may or may not be bad at baseball, <clears throat> is still hopefully kicking and screaming there. So I think it's a great move for Toronto. You're, you're buying low on a player that is coming off of a down year. He's coming off of really two down years. He wasn't particularly awe-inspiring during the pandemic year. His best year was in 2019, but he's one of the best defensive players ever, not even active third baseman in the AL the, the American League, it's ever, right? He is, as far as I'm concerned, he is the 1C to Arenado 1A, Brooks Robinson 1B. So you're getting a guy that's elite at something and that's valuable. So the first thing that came to my mind when I saw this was actually a quote from uh, Vladdy Jr. That this was before um, Freddie Freeman was signed where he said that he had talked to management and said he'd be down to try to move to third base to allow the team to go for Freddie Freeman. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. Except, uh, no, not even remotely close. Not going to happen. No. Uh, <laughs> no, let him, just let him play first. Just, just keep playing first. <laughs> like, just please keep playing first. Like, you're doing fantastic. Don't, don't need to put you at third base yet. <laughs> um, but I do like what I'm seeing here that this is a move that's definitely going to be um, adding a lot of great defense to this. And the bat was always kind of the question when it came to Chapman. He had a good bat. We've seen that he's had a good bat. But it's about could you do it a little more consistently? Can you have a more solid year with a bat? Because we know the defense is going to be great. Like, when you know how to how to play the hot corner, you know how to play the hot, hot corner. And that's like you've alluded to Splash. He's one of the best ever at that position stat wise. He's one of the greatest. So you're shoring up the hot corner. And I love this as well, because it's one of those moves that really shows, okay, we're here to play. This was a move that they did last year with Springer. And this year that they got with Chapman to be able to say, okay, guys, we are shoring up a needed area on this team. We're doing it. We're making it work. Now let's go rock and roll. And that's exactly what the team has done. And even if he doesn't hit amazingly well, like even if he say only hits like what, 230 even, like I'm okay with that because of all the rest of the talent that's around him. When you've got guys like Vladdy and Springer and, all, and the rest of the supporting cast, that offense is not the problem. 
and getting a little bit more extra defense on the on the play, and especially at the hot corner, which in my opinion, one of the most important defensive positions that you need to have good quick reflexes on. You made a stellar move. Yeah, I, I like this move a lot, actually. And, you know, the, the package of prospects heading back, uh, Zach Logue is a guy I saw pitch in the minors last year. He's got pretty good stuff. Uh, Gunnar Hoagland is obviously the centerpiece here. He's uh, He was the first-round pick for the team this past year in 2021, 19th overall. He hasn't pitched professionally yet, but he was fantastic at Ole Miss the past two years. Uh, 2.87 ERA last year with 96 strikeouts and 62 and two-thirds innings, so 13.8 Ks per nine. Um, Chapman, though, I mean, even in a down year, he was still league average offensively, going to a slightly more hitter-friendly ballpark in Toronto. I mean, Ricky Henderson Field is just cavernous. Uh, still hit 27 homers, and he when he gets on a roll, he will not stop hitting homers. Defense still strong. Another gold glove, like I said, three-time gold glover. He's finished as high as sixth in MVP voting. He's seventh in MVP voting in 2018. And uh, just a friendly reminder of what happened the last time the Blue Jays traded for an Oakland third baseman. Well, that was Josh Donaldson. I'm not saying Matt Chapman's going to have a year that, jo- the, that Josh Donaldson uh, had in 2015, but it is worth noting that, that that is what happened. So I like this trade. I like this trade a lot. I don't think the the Jays had to give up a ton. I know Hoagland is nice and Logue Log, Log has potential, but they're still young. You know, Hoagland was literally drafted this past year. He's only, in fact, uh, Hoagland is only a little bit older than I am. He's December of 99. So it's, in, it's interesting. I mean, I think the Blue Jays saw how close they got last year and saw they lost Marcus Simeon. And they knew they needed to replace that that production. So I think the Jays are looking great heading into this year, actually. I'm really, really high on them. So uh, that, uh, I mean, great, great move by Toronto. I mean, I'm really excited to see this Blue Jays team play this year. Uh, But we're coming down towards the end of the show. Any final thoughts on anything we've talked about today? Yeah, you did. You mentioned uh, Josh Donaldson. He has a new team, the New York, not New York, New York Yankees. That's exciting there for Yankees fans. So two-star third baseman heading to the American League East. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. I think I think the AL East is going to be uh, a bloodbath once again. I mean, what's going to happen is we know that the Yankees, though, now are going to have at least one big brawl within the team itself with all the comments that Donaldson made with certain pitchers, including one star pitcher with the team. I don't know, something about uh, Goretz Kule, something like that. I don't know. Some player like that. And um, But it's going to take one, and then they're going to get right back on track. So I don't know. I think that move is going to be interesting. When it comes to the rest of what we've talked about, I love this offseason since, you know, the since baseball came back itself. There's been some absolutely mind-melting moves that has been so much fun to watch. It did take a few minutes. I thought I'll be the first one to admit that I was wrong, saying that as soon as the lockout ended, I thought there was going to be moves within the hour. But you know what? I'm okay waiting a few days to see, you know, Seattle acquiring Eugenio Suarez and Jesse Winker for not a whole lot as well as all these other amazing moves. Yeah. And I, I know the, the lockout was getting us a little stir crazy, 
no, we, we, you guys uh, heard the episodes we did and, and we, obviously it's awesome doing Jeopardy and it's awesome doing, you know, created player drafts and, you know, it, it's, it's a lot of fun doing verses and all that, but we really missed having baseball news, you know, and with opening day just around the corner, it's uh, two weeks from yesterday, I believe uh, is opening day, April 7th. I, I can't express how excited I am for, for this. And, you know, I, 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 I can't wait. You know, I think this off season once before, before the lockout, there were a lot of moves after lockout, there's been a ton of moves. Who knows what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. We still have some big free agents like Michael Conforto on the market, still waiting on who, where the A's are going to send Frankie Montes and Sean Manaya. Uh, I know the twins are looking at, at Montes at least. So the, the twins get Montes all of a sudden they're going to be a force to be reckoned with, but wow. It, it's it, what, what a crazy past couple of weeks it's been. Uh, but anyways, that is going to do it for us today. Thank you for, to everyone for tuning in. Thank you to Splash and Alex for coming on. As always, you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow myself at Matthias underscore a underscore K. You can follow Splash at Mr. Splashman 19. You can follow Alex at the sports guy 242. Make sure to follow the baseball overtime heroics account at baseball underscore OTH and the chief seats chatter Twitter account at OTH underscore cheap seats. Guys, make sure to tune in again next week. We will probably be having some predictions episodes coming up soon. So be prepared for that. I'm sure we will have some scorching hot takes in there that will cause all sorts of discussion uh, within us and within uh, you guys, the listeners, but for everyone at overtime heroics, thank you for tuning in. And hope to see you all real soon.